0: Today's passage is from Colossians 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grow with a growth that is from God.
1: good to be with you all this morning. Uh, We've got a very important text in front of us. Um, So I'm gonna pray real quick that God would give us insight into this. Uh, I think there's much application for us as a church. Um, Everybody okay? We're gonna go real quick, is everybody all right? Yes, all right. Lord, um, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would do something that we cannot do and that's give us uh, illumination. Um, Holy Spirit come, and give us knowledge that is beyond knowledge. Um, Speak to us, Holy Spirit, as to how you want to shape us into a Christ culture, a Christ-formed culture. Um, I pray that the law of love would truly rule us. Um, Have your way with us. Speak to us, correct us, train us in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped uh, for every good deed. Um, Show us, Lord, where we pass judgment and disqualify each other and pass judgment and disqualify other churches where we shouldn't. Um, But also show us, Lord, where we can celebrate that we truly are connected to the head, we're connected to Christ. Show us, Lord, where we truly are growing because, Lord, you are creating growth. Show us, Lord, where we are indulging in the flesh where you want us to repent. Um, Lord, this is such an important text for us as a church and God, give us insight Uh, Grant us the grace of humility. Um, Just give us open hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When I first came to Jesus, when I met Jesus, when he brought me into his family, when he chose me, uh, a Messianic Jewish charismatic rabbi led me to Jesus, and I think only a Messianic Jewish rabbi uh, could lead me to Jesus. His name was Andrew Shishkov, and his people became my people, Uh, and I was the only Gentile in the Messianic Jewish charismatic place. Uh, I wanted to be Jewish so bad as an 18-year-old. I loved his culture. I wore a kippah, Uh, I celebrated all the feasts, I celebrated Shabbat, I kissed people on the cheek, some people kissed on the lips, I didn't do that. Um, They danced, I danced. They blew the shofar, which is a huge ram's horn, I blew the shofar. Um, It was unbelievable to be a part of a culture. Have you ever been to a Jewish wedding? It is a party, and man, do they know how to party. Their culture was amazing. All of us have come from culture. Culture, we can debate this if you'd like, but culture is found in all human societies. These include expressive forms of art, music, dance, ritual, religion, technology, tools, cooking, shelter, clothing. Uh, When I lived in Gaithersburg, Maryland, our neighbor was from Ghana and he became a good friend of mine and his name was Kofi. One time I went to his birthday party and we were the only white people there. And I thought he was pulling a prank on me because he loved to pull pranks on me. And so there was about 15 of his friends who were guys. 14 of them were named Kofi, one was named Kwame. I thought he was playing a joke on me. So I went up to Kofi and I said, Kofi, are you playing a joke on me? Because I know all your friends are not named Kofi. And he said, no, they are. They were all born on Friday. Because I didn't know that in Ghana, men that were born on Friday are named Kofi. And then his other friend was named Kwame because on Saturday that's what they named men born on Saturday is Kwame. So I learned something about their culture in Ghana and that he wasn't pranking me. So I learned a lot about culture and that I was culturally illiterate, all right? So now you're learning something about Ghanaian culture. We all have cultures. Churches have cultures. A lot of churches have cultures. Um, If you're a part of a a monocultural society, you come from a monocultural society, or you are a part of a majority cultural society. Um, Sometimes you don't even know that your culture exists. This is why Aristotle asked the question of Greek culture when he asked the question of, ask a fish if it it is wet. What does a fish say? What is wet? Sometimes we don't even know our own culture And and Paul is actually correcting culture here because a lot of people in the Colossian church came out of Jewish culture and and they were beginning to moralize their own culture and adding culture and saying, Jesus plus culture equals life with God. And Paul is is going to correct that because the false teachers are coming in and, and, and adding and moralizing their culture. And, and, and if we're, we're honest, we, we, we have to see that it's not just the Colossian church that, that does that. It's all churches that do that. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle is something that Christians have been dealing with for thousands of years. It's not just the Colossian church that deal with that. If we're if we're intellectually honest, if we're morally honest, we're we're really good at creating rules for ourselves, but not just ourselves, but with each other, right? Um, I mean, come on, we love to moralize our own culture, and we love to make rules for each other. That's, that's what we do. And so Paul, addresses this head on and says that these are worldly categories. These are elemental spirits, actually. It's self-made religion to do this. He actually calls it will worship. You see, it would seem that there were some in the Colossian church that are coming in and passing judgment on other blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ and taking their cultural identities and adding them to the gospel. And the argument in 16 through 23 is actually based on the argument that just preceded. And so in verse 16, you see the word therefore. It's in conclusion. So everything that has just come before, he's now coming to conclusion and he's forming an argument. He's he's saying based on everything that has just come before. You know, verse 13 in, in chapter two, he, he, he makes this massive theological point that, because of the death and resurrection that we are together in Christ, remember last week we talked about that eighty three times in all of paul 's books. He talks about being in Christ or with Christ. remember we are in the sphere of Christ. Remember we talked about that just, le- just as much as we live in the state of Virginia, we live in the sphere of Virginia now that we are in Christ, we live in the sphere of Christ, so All that is in Christ, all the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that is in Christ, we live in that. We live in the forgiveness of Christ. We live in the mercy of Christ. We live in the power of the resurrected Christ. We are in him, do do you all remember that? 83 times Paul is pounding in our head, we are in Christ, we are with Christ, we are in Christ, we are with Christ. So we live now in a very different culture. It's the culture of Christ. It's very different. Just as much as you go to Florida or California or Minnesota or Hawaii or Virginia, very different culture, right? Yes or no? The culture of Christ is a very different culture than the culture of this world. The culture of mercy, the culture of forgiveness, the culture of love, very different culture than the culture of this world. The culture of Christ, the kingdom of Christ is very different than the culture of the Colossian false teachers that are coming in and adding the do not touch and do not taste and do not handle culture of this world that's elemental spirits, it's worldly. It's an entirely different culture because the culture of the kingdom and the culture of Christ is the character of the king. Very different culture. You see, the culture of the king is not the culture of flesh. It's not the culture of humans. It's very counterintuitive. It's very upside down. It's very upside down. The first will be last and the last will be first. Those who have most power give it away. It's very foreign foreign to the human experience. Grace and forgiveness are very foreign to the human experience. Grace and forgiveness are not human. It is learned and taught by the Holy Spirit. It is not taught by your will. It is very hard to embrace the kingdom of Christ. Why? Because it is not and it has not anything to do with your sarks. The Greek word there is flesh, sarks. Your flesh cannot teach you the kingdom of Christ. You cannot learn the kingdom of Christ in any graduate program or PhD program at Harvard or Yale or Brown or any other Ivy League school or any school in England or Ireland or Oxford or wherever. The only place that you can learn the kingdom of Christ is sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's it. Your sarks cannot teach you the kingdom of Christ. Paul is clear, and let me tell you this, your flesh, my flesh, hates, let me repeat that, hates the idea of grace, hates it. Grace is alarming to our flesh, because you are not in control, Jesus is. And you cannot earn because Jesus has earned everything for you. And so, another aspect that Paul's going to bring out in this text of the kingdom of Christ is freedom. Freedom. But it's a very different kind of freedom. And it's a freedom that Jesus wants you to be radically committed to and radically to obey. And he wants you to be who you are in Jesus Christ and he wants you to obey something very clearly in his kingdom, he wants you to obey your freedom. And the main idea in this text that I want to pull out is that very clearly, obey your freedom. He wants you to be radically committed to obey your freedom and he wants you to be radically committed to hold each other to obey your freedom. And I think this text makes this argument in a negative way and then next week, chapter three, one through 10, he's going to make the same argument in a positive way. He wants you to be radically committed as a church not only to obey your own freedom, but to hold each other to obey their freedom. He has radically died on a cross and resurrected from the dead so that you can be radically committed to obeying your freedom. Galatians 5.1, for freedom. Christ has set you free. You have been freed, so obey your freedom. He's going to make the argument in two ways in this text. Two ways in this text. You are free to grow and you are free to stop. You are free to grow and you are free to stop. The main idea of a text is obey your freedom. He's gonna make that argument in two ways. You are free to grow, and you are free to stop. You are free to grow, and you are free to stop. Point one, you are free to grow. Question, have you ever been scared of your shadow? Literally. You're looking at me like I'm dumb. Who's jumpy? You jump at movies, you jump at shadows, you jump at cats, you just, you're jumpy. Come on, it's church. You can raise your hand. We can be vulnerable. I'm a very jumpy person. My kids make fun of me all the time because I jump at movies. I jump at Disney movies. I jump at cartoons. I'm a jumpy person. I literally was walking on a very sunny day. I thought someone was following me. Nobody was following me. It was my shadow. But I'll tell you this. It was a very big shadow because I'm a big person, okay? I don't know. I'm not good at science, so don't don't question me on the science of my shadow. Um, Paul is making a brilliant argument about the law and about the use of the law. He's using a word illustration in chapter 17 about the law and the shadow of the law and the body of Christ. You see that word substance in, in verse 17 but the substance belongs to Christ. Do you see that in 17? You see that word? Okay, that word substance is soma, body. But the body belongs to Christ. The shadow, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the body belongs to Christ. Paul is using this word picture to illustrate that the law had purpose. Food and drink, dietary laws, had purpose, festivals, the feast of weeks, the Passover, the new moon festivals, the harvests in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the dietary laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the Sabbath law, the fifth commandment, they had clear purpose. Have you read the the Old Testament? They had clear purpose related to how the Jews worshiped God. They had clear purpose. Jesus said very clearly, I did not come to crush the law, to erase the law. I came to what? To fulfill the law. Ah, brilliant. Jesus' shadow was cast in the Old Testament. The shadow was cast. It had great purpose. The shadow was cast. The body was coming. He's coming. He's coming. Holiness, holiness. Holiness is coming. Holiness is coming. Presence is coming. Presence is coming. coming. Oh, you can see it through the law. This is how you worship God. God is coming. He has promised to dwell with man and man with God. He's coming. Oh, presence in the temple. He's coming. He's coming. This is how you worship. This is how you're with me. You will be different. You will be the people of God. I will be present with you. You will be present with me. Then he comes. John chapter two, he stands in the temple. You You knock down this temple, I will raise it in three days. That's what Jesus said. The body is here, right? The argument is, why go back to the shadow? Why would you go back to the shadow? You you, you see his argument. This is foolishness. This is total foolishness. The soma belongs to Christ. The body belongs to Christ. Why would you go back to the shadow? That was was what was to come. The body is here. Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. Now you are in the body. You are in Christ. Now you belong to one another. How do you grow now? One another. You're connected to the head. You're connected to Christ. You're connected to each other. Ligaments, body, you're joined together. Does that sound like another book? Remember we studied Ephesians? How does the body grow? Ephesians four? You're connected to one another by ligaments and sinews as you what? As you speak the truth to one another in love? What is that truth, the gospel, as you gospelize one another? Not as you obey the Sabbath commandment, not as you obey festivals, not as you obey food rituals. No, as you gospelize one another, speak the gospel to one another, that's how you grow. Why? Because you're connected to the head, Jesus Christ. He makes it grow. Do you see the argument? You're free to grow now. Why are you free to grow? Because you're in Jesus Christ not because you're obeying some commandment to a food law or to a new moon festival. You're free to grow. And so he says, there are two commandments in this. You're connected to the body, you're connected to the head. Don't let anyone judge you. You see that? It's right there in 16. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you. Actually think he says it like that. Probably, I don't know. That's speculation. Don't let anybody judge you. By saying you have to obey some law? But here's the thing. If if you want to obey a Sabbath, obey a Sabbath. If you want to celebrate Passover, obey a Passover. Celebrate it. If you want to not eat pork, don't eat pork. But for Paul, when he's with Gentiles, you know what he says? Pass the bacon, brah. Do you know what he's saying don't do? don't pass judgment on your brother or sister if he decides not to eat pork or if he decides to eat pork. That's what he's saying. He's saying because they're not connected to the head. If it's Jesus plus you can't eat pork, you're not connected to the head. If it's Jesus plus you have to celebrate the new moon festival, you're not connected to the head if it's Jesus plus, you must obey the Sabbath, you're not connected to the head. Don't let anybody disqualify you. Don't let anybody disqualify you. The imagery in this text is literally like awarding a prize in a contest. It has to do with evaluating, deciding, making rules, proceedings over something. It's like like you came in last. You've been disqualified. You didn't make the cut. You didn't belong. It's not just that you came in second, it's you came in last. It's, it's as though someone is standing above you and it's not that you didn't get the gold star, it's not that you didn't get the silver star, it's you came in last, all right? It's you are disqualified. You didn't make the cut. Paul is confronting someone that came in their midst. It's either a man or a woman who is, is not connected to the head at all and has come in and stolen people's freedom. And he or she is puffed up. They're arrogant. They're without reason, according to Paul. And without reason means that they, they, they're so without reason, they're not stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There's, there's false humility but they have incredible restraint. You know, the text says it, they have incredible restraint. They're they're ascetics. You know what an ascetic is? You know, you read the Desert Fathers in like the third and fourth century, they're the ones that can go out and sit on a pole for like a year. They're the ones that can go and sit in a cave for a year and like not eat for six months. Have Have you read about these people? Like, they're ascetics. They, they, they can severely treat their body. They can, they can, like, fast for 40 days. And we can all, like, in, you know, Christian circles, like, whoa, they're amazing. I didn't sleep for four days because I prayed. And I fasted for seven years. You know, I, you read the Desert Fathers, and this is what they did. They, were, they literally were called ascetics because they severely treated their bodies. If you read the the holiness movement, like John John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, George Whitfield literally almost died from tuberculosis because he fasted so much. Charles Wesley had to convince him to eat because he was on his deathbed, because he was under the teaching of one guy that I will not mention, but he was so convinced that fasting was going to get him nearer to God that he literally almost died. Like th- this, is, this, isn't, this isn't a lie. We can convince ourselves that somehow what we do with religious acts can get us somehow closer to God to get something from him. Paul says, It's not connected to the head. But it also, Paul says, it comes comes across as incredibly wise. It has the appearance of wisdom. Sure has the appearance of wisdom. It comes across as really godly and holy. But it's false. You know why? Because it's not connected to the head. It's like a torso without a head. (laughs) And it creates disunity. It always creates disunity, you know why? Because it always creates a two-tiered Christianity. Those who are in and those who are out. Those who are in and those who are out. This is the effect of those who pass judgment and disqualify others. They are not connected to Jesus, they are not connected to the head. I can remember some of my, when I was in a charismatic church, some of my charismatic friends would say about Presbyterians and Baptists that didn't speak in tongues. They're on the boat, but they're not in the party. They're on the boat, but they're not in the party because they didn't speak in tongues. I have Calvinistic friends that it's almost like Jesus plus Calvin equals life with God. And if you don't believe in election, somehow you are on the boat, but you're not in the party. I, I've I have friends on both sides that if if you don't vote for their candidate, it's fascinating. How can you vote for that candidate and believe in Jesus on both sides? It's a two-tiered Christianity on both sides. Fascinating to me. Both Both camps love Jesus and are calling both sides sinners. Fascinating to me. Disqualifying each other as though Jesus is on their teeth. Brothers and sisters, we can so easily do this. We can base this on secondary doctrinal positions, political candidates, cultural identities, environmental positions, views on missions. It is so easy to do. Jesus plus you fill in the blank. And we have to guard each other's freedom because it was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is precious to us. It's precious to us. Listen. I am all about discernment. I am all about being careful. You can go to my house. My house is filled with books, thousands of books. I love reading. I love discernment. I love theology. I love precision. I love truth. I press for truth. I press for precision. I love it. But here's the thing that I've learned about certainty. When you are certain about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you are certain that your sin killed the Son of God, and you are certain of the resurrection, and you are certain that you did not deserve any of it, here's what you can be certain of. You can be charitable in disagreement. (laughs) That's what you can be certain of. I'm not arguing that we can't be in disagreement. What I'm arguing for is to be charitable. That's what I'm arguing for. And I think that's what Paul is arguing for. Is to hold fast to the body. And to let the shadow go. To remain in Christ. To not let anyone disqualify you. To remain in his body. To remain in the fine. And to grow, to be free to grow. But here's the thing about growth, right? It's growth according to whom? It's right there at the end of the text. 19. Growth according to whom? Read it right there at the end of the text. Who grows? God. Isn't it fascinating when you start obeying other people's rules, how easy they are to follow don't watch a certain thing, don't do a certain thing. There are always a don't do. Most of them are don't do. Isn't it really hard to actually grow according to how the Lord wants you to grow? And isn't it really, really slow? Yes or no? It is for me. And don't you most of the time need the body? like other people? I do. I mean, it it seems to point that out. Knit together, see that word together? What does together assume? What does together assume? Other people? Other people knit together its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. (laughs) You know why I'm laughing? Because it's humbling. It's humbling. It's the Lord that makes me grow with the help of other people. Isn't it so good? Isn't it so good? When you look back on five years and you know it's the Lord, because it strengthens your faith. You just, you know it's the Lord. You say, only the Lord could do that. Is that my stupid rule keeping? And nobody can take that away from me. Nobody can judge me or disqualify me for that. You know it. Only the Lord can do that. Only the Lord could have strengthened me in that. Only the Lord could have changed that. Only the Lord can get credit for that. Don't you want that? That's what Paul wants for you. Religion is easy. It's elemental spirits. It's, It's fake. Paul doesn't want that for you. I don't want that for you as a Pastor. It's easy. Hold fast to the head. You are free to grow. Secondly, you are free to stop. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. You are free to stop. When I became a Christian, when I was 18, there were certain things that Christ put a stop to, like that, and I thank God for that. I remember one night I was pursuing a certain behavior. I am not gonna say what it was. But I literally heard in my head a voice that said, stop. (laughs) And let's just say it put the fear of God in me and I stopped. Now, there are certain things in my life that I did not hear a loud voice and they continue. And it is a challenge and I am seeking the Lord daily to be transformed in, some call that sanctification. And I feel like the longer I walk with the Lord, the slower growth is. (laughs) And the harder growth is. And I feel like the longer I walk with the Lord, the more that trial and suffering and the discipline of the Lord gets at growth in my life. And I am becoming more and more comfortable with that. Um, Okay with that. The slow process of listening to Christ and enjoying him and obeying him in what Paul says, stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see that in verse 23? Stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Pursuing holiness. Stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here is what is so amazing about the gospel of Jesus Christ and transforming you is that you are now able to stop the indulgence of the sarks. You are now able to stop, truly stop, the indulgence of the flesh. See, Christ has set you free, and in your freedom you are actually able to stop the indulgence of the flesh, truly able. And next week in chapter three, verse five, he's gonna tell you to put to death what is already dead. It's a strange thing to say, but we'll get into that later. The false teachers in Colossae are saying, hey, you need to stop the indulgence of the flesh. You need to put to death the indulgence of the flesh. You need to put to death your flesh by old-time religion. You need to go back to some religion." you need to get back to being religious. Because you know what? I am convinced of this. All people, whether they are Christ followers or whatever, everybody is religious. We are all religious. Hedonists are religious. We are all rule followers. Even if your rule is you don't follow rules, that's a rule. All world religions are rules. You you realize that? That came from human, world religions came from our minds. We are all religious, our flesh is religious. Hedonism is religious, we are very religious people. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, that is the sarks. that is the flesh of us. The point that Paul is making is that do not touch, do not taste, do not, all this is incapable of power, it cannot, it will not stop the indulgence of your flesh. But it has the appearance of wisdom. It has the appearance that it will stop the indulgence of the flesh. But it cannot produce anything. I recently had some friends who are having difficulty with their children their older children, they went to someone to seek advice. And the advice they got was this. You know you did your job right as if your grandkids are saved. You know you did your job right as if your grandkids are saved. I said to them, that's from the pit of hell. You see, it's fascinating how it just it seems like wisdom. But see, parenting right gets right. It's not connected to the head. It's not connected to Christ. You see, what I love about this text is that it's, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. You know what self-made religion means? Will worship. As though you can will your kids into salvation. Sorry, there's only one way into salvation. By Christ alone, through faith alone, in grace alone, right? I have not read in the New Testament anywhere where it says, and by parenting. Not a lot of laughter out there. (laughs) You know why? It's because we do fundamentally believe, it's we parent right, we get right. You know why? It's because we have been taught that for decades. Why? It's because We really do like the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, why? Because we live in the United States and we worship, we worship the will. Why do we worship the will? Because God has given us a will and the will is powerful. Do you understand that? Do you understand the will is incredibly powerful? You know what you can do with your will? You can lose a lot of weight with your will. Do you know how many addictions you can conquer with your will? Do you know you can climb Mount Everest with your will? Do you know like, your whole body can be frozen and still climb Mount Everest with your will? We read books about this. We listen to podcasts about this. We love this. This is in our ethos, right? The self-made man, the self-made woman. accomplishing incredible feats, overcoming and persisting. We love the will. We worship the will. Yes or no? And then we come into the church and we hear about grace and weakness. <laughs> Don't think for a second that we're not a sucker for self-will and self-made religion. Like We have to be vigilant. But look at what he says in verse 20. But with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits. With Christ, you died. With Christ, you died to the, if you parent right, you get right. If you do right, you get right. If you do bad, you get bad. Those are all elemental spirits and will worship and false religion and all of that. You died to that. It was nailed to the cross, remember? All of that's nailed to the cross. It's done with. Doesn't that feel like freedom? Church, yes or no? Can you imagine a world where you just walk with Jesus and you learn a different kingdom? A kingdom of freedom, a kingdom of mercy, a kingdom of grace, a kingdom where there's a law. But here's the law, you want to know the law? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's another law, you want another law? Try this one on for size. Love each other as he loved us. There you go. Figure that one out. Work on that one. You want to know what love really means? Ten Commandments. Here are the Ten Commandments. First five, here's how you love God. The other five, here's how you love your brother. It's going to be really, really difficult to love your brother if you covet his wife and his donkey or his car. It's really hard to do those things at the same time. You want to learn how to love Obey the Ten Commandments. That's how you love. You see how it works now in Christ? Yes or no? We don't have time to create any more laws than God has already created for us. Just try to fulfill the two commandments that he's already given us. Do you get that? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. That's it. Got it? Got it? Church, you got it? Okay, ready to break. That's it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for your texts. We're so grateful for your scriptures that teach us and guide us and lead us Lord, give us the power to obey them. Lord, hearing is not obedience. Um, Doing is obedience. Lord, protect us. Lord, we don't want to disqualify each other. We don't want to pass judgment on each other. Um, So Lord, help us do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We get the great privilege now to... um, take communion, and I just had a burden as Josh was praying for people uh, to remind people as they come um, to the communion table, um, Jesus suffered. Um, he, is, he is empathetic towards your suffering. You're, you're coming to a suffering savior. Um, but you're also coming to a savior that killed death dead. Um, you're coming to a savior that if he can kill death he can heal you so come in faith Um, he is a a powerful savior the logic is clear if he can kill death that's power but the cross is also clear if your savior loved you enough to die for you as an enemy that's love so He is capable of healing you and he absolutely ferociously loves you. And so when you come to the table, understand that you are coming to a loving, empathetic savior who ferociously loves you and also has the ability to heal you. So come in faith, come in faith that this cup represents he shed blood for you. And this bread, this broken body, reveals to you that He is one day coming to restore and reconcile all things to the rightful order that God created them in the first place.